everyone, welcome back to On Your Terms. I'm so excited to be recording today and talking with you all about the legal side of pricing your offers online in your business because this is a topic that I don't really see anybody talking about, but it's really important and I know you have questions about it. Um, before we hop into today's episode, my little life update, I guess, well, this is literally a little life update, but that I got my ears pierced. Very exciting. I know, I know. Um, if we're friends on Instagram, you saw that I shared my little certificate of bravery that they gave me, which was absolutely hysterical. Um, it was basically like me in line with a bunch of six-year-olds getting their ears pierced and, um, I was way more nervous than they were. Uh, some of them are getting their second hole pierced. So yeah, but I actually, so I had my ears pierced before. Um, I, I, my dad, okay, Norm, you probably, this probably won't surprise you if you've heard things about Norm in the past, but like Norm, since I was a baby was like, you are not getting your ears pierced. You are not getting a tattoo and like, don't even think about wearing makeup. Right. It was so funny cause he was not a strict parent and he wasn't tough on me at all, but he just like had very old school ideas and we're Jewish. Like he had a lot of ideas about, you know, no tattoos, like tattoos aren't okay. And he would always tell me I couldn't be buried in a Jewish cemetery and like all this stuff. So it was really funny. I was never even asking to get one, but he was just letting me know this was not an option. So when I was like 16 and I was going to prom, I, my mom like snuck me to the mall and got my ears pierced at like, I think it was like Claire's or some, you know, like kiosk in the middle of the mall. And, um, I remember, I remember hurt really bad (laughs) when I was 16 and then during COVID, okay, this actually ended up being my dad's fault in the long run. So during COVID he got over it, by the way, he didn't care. But when, um, my dad got sick, he had cancer and I was taking him to the hospital all the time. I was having to like wear like basically just short of like a beekeeper's outfit to go into the hospital sometimes. And you would have to put like the mask on and the shield and the gloves and the blah, blah, blah. And like, so I just didn't wear any jewelry and it was COVID. So we were home. So like nobody was, we weren't going anywhere. I wasn't trying to impress anyone. And so I stopped wearing my earrings and then it was only like maybe when my dad passed away last year, I went to like go put my earrings in and like basically re-pierced my ear myself. Um, it was not, it was not pleasant. And so I just gave up and then it's been on my list and I was in the mall last week and there was this really cool place called Rowan where you can like go get your ears pierced. I don't know if you've seen it. I'm, it's probably from New York city, I'm assuming, but they had one out here. Um, and the woman did great. They only use nurses to do the piercings and she did great. And I'm here. I survived to tell you the tale. So good news, guys. I'm still here. <laughs> um, no, it really wasn't. It was not very bad. But I'm just so excited to have my ears pierced again. This is like such a little thing, but I've just been really happy. I have to have these little studs in for a couple of weeks until I can wear anything else. But I'm excited to be able to wear my earrings. The reason we were at the mall that day actually was because I haven't been to a mall in eight million years. Um, I primarily only do, so A, I don't shop that much. Ryan would definitely disagree with this, but I also primarily only shop online because I've gotten really into shopping just in like eco-conscious stores, labor-conscious stores. So I buy things from companies that don't tend to have stores and malls or like I'm trying to buy more from like small businesses. So I'm not doing any like big store shopping anymore. So, or I'm trying not to. So um, that puts a serious crimp in your mall style if you like going to the mall. But I actually was just craving a trip to the mall because um, my mom every single year used to take us back to school shopping. And it was always what she called an alone date. So she would take you out for the day. We would go shopping. We would get lunch. 
we would usually end up having to also get dinner and like get coffee. We'd like go to Starbucks and it was just such a treat, like such an indulgent day. I was obviously very fortunate to be able to do that with her. Um, as she, you know, when I was little, she became, she went to med school and then became a doctor. So as I got older, these days got more indulgent, um, which was really sweet of her. She, my mom was a very generous person and, it was just, it really wasn't about the stuff for me so much. My sister will disagree with this because she used to go to like Louis Vuitton and stuff. But um, I would I would want like all the sporty things and I would want to get like tech stuff and go to Best Buy and like Apple. But I, I loved all of this. But my mom just, it was like my mom didn't do a lot of like one-on-one time. So it was just like a really nice um, treat day with her. And my mom continued this tradition well after we were in school. So like even while I was in law school, she did this. But once I graduated from law school, we still did this every year. And so this year, she obviously just passed away. And this year was the first year that she has not been here to do that. So that was really hard. But I I wanted to take myself to go do it and just kind of like make a nice day. So it was such a nice day. And I thought it was funny that I got my ears pierced since she was the one who took me to go do it. So thanks for letting me share that. I just wanted to to share a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes before we talk about the legal side of pricing your offers. So why are we talking about pricing today? Pricing in general is a problem. It's why I did an entire episode on it. Um, episode number 39, if you haven't listened to it already, is all about how to price your offers. Not really so much from a legal perspective, but more from like a, how you actually go about price. Like, how do you come up with a cost for something? How much should you charge people for things? I would say more from like the marketing perspective. So I did episode 39 all about that. If you haven't listened to it yet, I would definitely recommend listening to it. You don't have to listen to it first, but listen to it in conjunction with this one. And I just think in general, there's a lot of like, as I say in that episode, like a lot of bad information, bad advice in this industry around pricing. Cause a lot of people who don't really know how to actually price things are just like, look at what everybody else is doing and like price it the same or price it similar or price it right above. Like it even using other people's pricing as like the rubric is kind of a problem. So I know that that generally there are a lot of issues around pricing, but then I have also had, you know, being a lawyer and everything, people ask me like, what about some legal issues related to pricing? Like, am I allowed to just price things, whatever I want. Am I allowed to charge whatever I want? Am I allowed to keep charging people's cards? Am I allowed to say no refunds? Like I get a lot of questions about that stuff. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So I'll tell you, like, generally speaking, I know people ask me about this a lot, but generally speaking, you can price your stuff how you want, right? Because the point is like, if if I wanted to make my legal templates $50,000, like as long as they said that they were $50,000 and you knew that they were $50,000, it's your choice from there, right? As long as I'm not making any sort of deceptive promises, right? That's a big like, but I mean, I'm giving an extreme example, but like this is serious in like business coaching maybe or, or courses like online courses that teach you how to do something you want to be careful not to price it in a way that you're like pricing it and then offering some sort of promise, right? Like, yes, my thing is $10,000, but my clients have been shown to make it back three to three X within 90 days or something like this. That could be a bit of an issue. It's not that pricing your program at $10,000 would be an issue. It's sort of tying it to some sort of promise. And that could also be found to be a deceptive marketing practice, which is against the law. If, for example, that's not 
true? Like maybe two or three of your clients did, but what about the average of your clients? Is it the most of your clients or was it just that like one or two of them only got that, you know, that kind of stuff. So sometimes what I see, I'm like, "Mm, that could be a little tricky dicky. I think that might be a little like a little deceptive, um, not, not giving people the full picture of information. So generally speaking, you can price it how you want. However, don't tie it to some sort of promise um, or warranty guarantee or any outcome, right? I have language in all of my legal templates for you, um, which are available on my website. I'll link down below. But um, all in all of my legal templates, I have like no warranties, guarantees, all that kind of language that you need. But as I always say about legal stuff, what's most important is that you don't actually do it, right? So you can't say like, I'm not making any warranties about your investment with me or your purchase of my product, but then make statements on your website. Like most people who buy this make their money back within 90 days. Like unless that's true, or you have to be like super honest, like 73% of my customers have made their money back. And you know what I mean? Instead of saying most, like I would be careful with that kind of stuff. Now, talking more generally also about pricing, generally speaking, it's again, okay to price it how you want, but it has to be advertised, right? Of course. So the price should be there. Personally, it's why I'm a fan. I mean, it's not a requirement to put the price on your website. I just think that it's helpful because yeah, it's just upfront. It's like upfront pricing. They see what they can get. So it has to be advertised. Um, it has to be true, obviously. So you can't be like, it's $2,000 and then charge their credit card $5,000. Like it has to be true. Um, And then generally speaking, too, you want your pricing to be available with whatever the terms are. We're going to talk about that when it comes to the refund policies. I'll tell you my little example about like final sale jeans. Um, But generally speaking, you want to remember that your policies or your contract or whatever the terms are that someone's agreeing to. So like what your refund policy is, how you're going to charge their card, what's included, what's not. That all has to be made available to someone when they purchase from you so that they're considering that price at the same time that they're considering like in exchange for this price, like I'm paying $2,000 and I get that there's no refund. I get that this is what's included. I get that, you know, I only have a year's worth of access to a community or something like that. Like they have to know what they're paying for in exchange, right? Makes sense. Now, What's really common in our industry as well is continuously charging somebody's credit card, like in the case of a payment plan, for example, or a subscription. So like you sell a product that, you know, you allow somebody to chop up the payments like six easy payments of $199. That's going to, you're going to use software that's going to just auto charge their card. Like it's, we're not old school. We're not sitting there and like typing in, or I hope you're not um, sitting there and typing in their credit card information every single month and charging people's cards. That there actually are a lot of laws around that, right? Around that process of like automatic recharging of people's credit cards. There is language and notice that's required to do that. It's perfectly easy, perfectly legal. It's just, again, something that has to be built into your policies so that someone understands, like, hey, by signing up for this, you're agreeing to a 12 payment plan. Those payments will be $199 space 30 days apart, and they will automatically be charged on your credit card. And what's like most important about the languages in your policies is that you um, remind and notify people that they will not be notified or asked for permission to charge their card. Like it's just something that's going to happen automatically. 
it is required because they're signing up for a 12 payment plan, for example. Um, and that's, what's going to happen. Again, all of that language is built into my legal templates, like especially the terms of use for um, any kind of course that you're building out or a membership. That's the, the legal document that I sell on my website that you would use if you were um, offering an online course or if you were creating a subscription um, like membership thing, anything like that, you would use terms of use template. That language is all built in for you. Um, it's also built into anything else you need from me. It's in the ultimate bundle. I talk about it. Um, so I have everything for you that you need. This is not something you should try to write yourself. It's very technical. I also keep all of my legal templates updated. So if you, you know, something changes in this arena, I'm going to update it for you and you get that for free. So it just makes sense in my mind for you to have one of my legal templates. So all the links are down below. The other main like reason that you want this language in case um, you continuously charge somebody's credit card like repeatedly for a subscription plan or payment plan is that if that person, if your customer ever complains to their credit card, it's what's called a chargeback threat. So it's where they go to their credit card and they say like, I don't want to pay for this. Or they'll say, I never got this. That's my favorite one when it's a digital product and they can show that they've accessed it. Um, so people will go to their credit card and say, I didn't like it. I didn't, they didn't deliver as promised, whatever. And they're asking their credit card company to give them the money back. The first thing, and then basically the credit card company will then take the money away from you. So you don't want that to happen. It's super easy to prevent if you have the right legal language in your contracts. So the language that I've built in, for example, into my legal templates, I have chargeback threat language in there, but also this language I'm talking about with continuously charging someone's card is really important because if that person complains to their credit card, their credit card company is going to come to you and ask for any proof or documentation you have. And for, for, I mean, I can tell you that we do this in my own business, let alone for my customers, um, that they've told me that they've done this the language that's in my templates is then what saves you because that's what's going to show the credit card company that you provided this information to the customer up front and they knew about it. So like, for example, if you have a six payment plan and it automatically charges that person's card every 30 days, and then that person goes to their credit card company and they're like, I never, I never authorized this payment or whatever, and they won't stop charging my card. You're going to send over this policy, the document, whatever you have, and that's what's going to get you, well, keep you your money. You're not going to have to give the money back. So that's really important. So obviously you want to notify people about like subscription payments, recharges. There's not a legal requirement that I'm aware of. There may be a state-specific law, so it's possible. I am admittedly not familiar with all 50 states' laws. Um, as much as that would be nice, that would also be exhausting and impossible and just frankly doesn't sound like something I want to do. So um, it's possible that there's a state law about notifying people like right before. What I do though is that like I, I have the language in my policy. It says like I'm, no, I'm not required to notify you in the sense that like I'm not asking for your permission. Like you've agreed to pay these payments. But what I do do is we send out a little like trigger email that comes out. Um, I think it's three days if not two days before their card's going to get charged, just to give people a courtesy heads up because maybe they've given us a debit card and they need to transfer some money over or like um, a lot of times people's like credit card has gotten stolen or something like that. So it's nice to give people a heads up. I think it's a really nice courtesy. What you just want to make sure is like really airtight is that that's not people thinking that you're asking for their permission because there's a difference between like a subscription that you sign up for that's cancelable 
versus like something where you're just like making payment plan payments, right? So like when I get my notification every month that, you know, some like probably some like face cream or something I've ordered on like a subscription is about to renew and I don't need it anymore or I don't need it yet. I go on and I cancel it or I delay it. I skip to the next one or whatever. I haven't agreed to make payments every single 30 days. Like it'll say you can do it whenever. So that's, that's a courtesy that's nice to give people if you want, if you want to allow them to cancel or whatever when your thing is cancelable, right? But when it's the kind of thing where they're just like making a payment plan payment, you want to differentiate and make sure that you're language is airtight just to say like, hey, we're just giving you a heads up that your card's going to be charged again in three days in the amount of $199 as part of your payment plan. Like it's not asking permission. If if you've already done all the language right and set it up correctly using the legal documents that I've been talking about here. The other thing you want to make sure is really clear is cancellation info. So like if you are selling something that is like month to month, it's a subscription or something like that, your policies need to be really clear about how that person can cancel. And you have to make it relatively easy for the people. So um, I don't know if you've heard, but like recently, actually Amazon came under fire because their subscriptions for like, uh, you know how you can buy some products on Amazon under subscription and you like save five or 10% or something. It's nearly impossible to cancel them. Like I, I joke with Ryan that you have to have a PhD to learn how to cancel this, like anything on Amazon. You have to go through like 10 steps. And when you go through all these steps, it's like they make it really hard. It's like at the bottom of the screen, it's tiny font. Sometimes I swear they're messing with you with the code. It's like you can't even like scroll to that part of the page. It's like not clicking. And even once you click on it multiple times, it keeps asking you like, are you sure? Do you want to just delay it 30 days? Like it's making it very onerous. The government has now come down on Amazon about this and said that they've in fact made this too difficult um, and that it's deceptive. It's a deceptive practice. So you want to make sure that you're not making it too hard. I'm not saying that has to be so you don't have to have a giant like cancel button on your website. Like it doesn't have to be so easy, but don't make it Amazon hard either. Right. Um, I think that somebody should have to like click on a button, go to something. I think you can ask like, are you sure or whatever? I'm sure you're using software that would allow them to do this. So I would just check like as a business owner, you know, it's your responsibility at the end of the day to make sure that this stuff is right. So I would just check like, what is the cancellation process like if somebody has to cancel my subscription? And then obviously you want to make sure that it actually cancels them and like doesn't keep charging them. It's very similar to like when someone unsubscribes from your email list, you want to make sure they actually leave. Right. So you want to make sure about that. You want to make sure whatever the amount of time is, like if you say it's seven days before or they can do it at any time or whatever, just honor it, follow it. Now, last but definitely not least, let's talk refund policies. So most of the time, it's okay to have a no refund policy as long as it's clear and stated uh, like ahead of time. It's made available. It's in writing. If you were in person, it would have to be printed online. It would have to be printed in font somewhere or in your policies. Um, I do both. Like I have it on on like the checkouts area, and then I also have it in the um, policies and everything. So it's very upfront. I say it in my webinar. Like I I try to make it pretty obvious. I'm not trying to bury it, right? Like it is what it is. It's no it's no refunds because it's a digital product that you can download. So I can't get it back, and you could take it right away. So. Most of the time, it's okay to have a no refunds policy. There are some states that can get like a little fuzzy with this when it comes to consumer rights. Um, but I think when it comes to digital content, they would probably err on your side 
because the person has gotten access to the thing. Um, and they can't, you can't prove that they can't, um, like scrub it, right? Like somebody could even like, I mean, how do you like return a digital product? Whereas if you bought like a shirt at the store and you return it, like they know they have the shirt back, right? So they're not like out of anything, but for us as digital product people or services people, it's like, how do you, how do you get that back? Right. Now, in New York, for example, where I live, um, you must have your return policy printed and available to people. Again, it has to be available to people when they're purchasing. So it can't, you can't purchase something and then be like, here's my policy, by the way. Um, if you don't let people in New York, for example, if you don't let people know what your return policy is, then it's automatically 30 days. Um, but there is no requirement in New York for there to be a return policy. You don't have to, you don't have to allow, sorry, I, what I should say is, in New York, there's no requirement that you allow returns, but you have to let people know. That's really the the issue. I'll link down below to New York's policy in case any of you are here in New York, but I was just curious. I was like, what is New York's rule on this? Um, and so that's that's that one. Now, my favorite example that I love to give, um, piggybacking on our shopping conversation from earlier, if you've been to any of my legal trainings or anything, you know that I always use this example so when you go shopping, if you were to walk into uh, Nordstrom and you were going to go buy a pair of jeans, right? If, if the jeans were final sale, when you would go up to the rack, there would be like a final sale sign. There'd probably be a final sale sticker or a stamp on the actual tag. And then when you go up to the checkout, the cashier would say to you, do you know that these are final sale? And you would say, yes. And then you hand over your credit card or your cash or your crypto or whatever. And then you would get your pants and go on your merry way and their final sale, right? That is like a beautiful dance of legal like agreement because there's like an offer, there's acceptance and consideration. Those are the three requirements for what it takes to have a agreement of some sort of contract. So that's what's just happened in that example, because you knew what the offer was, which was that for a discount, for in exchange for a discount, you had to um, take you know, the final sale, you weren't allowed to return them. And then you purchased them by you handing over your credit card and saying, I understand, I'm, I'm, I want them anyway. You've now accepted their offer, right? So that's that. The way that this could go down, like that wouldn't be okay, would be you go to that same store, there's no sign, there's no stamp, and the cashier never says anything to you about the fact that they're final sale and there's no sign anywhere. Um, and then you purchase them. And then like right as you're walking away, the cashier says to you, oh, by the way, those were final sale. Um, well, if you were in New York, you would actually be able to say, actually, I have 30 days because you never notified me of any return policy. There's nothing in writing here. I don't see anything. That ha that's a requirement. It has to be in writing, right? So um, that wouldn't fly. That's why in general, it's not just refund policies, but in general, you have to let people know what they're signing up for, essentially, when they're paying you. That's why I always say to you, like when you send and sign contracts, you have to send that and the payment at the same time. You can't withhold a contract until after someone pays you because somebody needs to know what they're signing up for. So that's really, really important. Okay, so what are my three takeaways for you from this episode? If I were to have you take anything away from this episode, here's what it would be. Number one, as a business owner, you have a lot of flexibility. You should use it, right? You get to decide. Like, if you want to have a refund, have it. If you want to make it five days, 20 days, 30 days, you can do that. If you want to say no refunds, you could probably do that. Like, 
you get to have a lot of flexibility, but the point is it has to be in writing. It has to be clear and it has to be made available to people upfront when or before they purchase from you. The second takeaway I would give you is that it all depends on your contracts. So your contracts and policies are so important. This is why I mean, I do what I do because I don't think it's funny to like mess around with this stuff. You can see how so many of the things we talked about today are like, yeah, you can totally do that. Or, oh, here's how you save yourself. It just, you need this like one paragraph or this one line in your contract. So your contracts and policies are super important. Get them from an attorney, have them professionally drafted, make them clear and post them where they're supposed to be. If you need any legal templates, I have them down below. The third thing I would take away is that these things like your documents, your policies, your preferences, they are evolving and it's okay, right? Like you, you should be learning from your mistakes and any issues that come up with clients. If somebody, you know, screws you over or like gets one on you and you're like, man, I I never thought about that. That's just something to update in your policies, right? It's just an opportunity to make them better. And you don't want to come into this with an attitude that like everything's supposed to be perfect from the jump because Stuff happens as you continue to build your business. I'm always updating my stuff. Like, that's normal. So that's also why it's important to have a legit legal document because then you're able to just update it instead of, like, building, like, Frankenstein's monster of some sort of legal document as you go along. Like, you'll have a very solid agreement to start, and then you'll just make it better and better for your business. So I hope that this was helpful. hope that these takeaways were helpful If you liked today's episode, please do me a favor and real quick text a link to this episode to a friend of yours or post it or share it in an email of yours. Um, I tag me on Instagram. I would love to hear if you're listening to on your terms and you like the episode. Um, I also just started a little listener survey because I have a couple ideas in mind for the podcast, but I really want your feedback on this. I know that you, you're a smart cookie. I know you are a driven person. I know you're here. You're not trying to mess around. You're strong as heck and you want to build an incredible business. So I just want to make sure that my episodes are always as helpful to you as possible. So I'll include a link to that new listener survey down in the show notes along with um, episode 39, which talks about how to price your offers, that New York return policy, anything else I talked about in today's episode, I always link to in the show notes. So thank you so much for being here. And I can't wait to chat with you in a few days. Thanks so much for listening to the On Your Terms podcast. Make sure to follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can also check out all of our podcast episodes, show notes, links, and more at samvanderreelen.com slash podcast. You can learn more about legally protecting your business and take my free legal workshop, Five Steps to Legally Protect and Grow Your Online Business at samvanderreelen.com. And to stay connected and follow along, follow me on Instagram at samvanderreelen and send me a DM to say hi. Just remember that although I am a attorney, I am not your attorney and I am not offering you legal advice in today's episode. This episode and all of my episodes are informational and educational only. It is not a substitute for seeking out your own advice from your own lawyer. And please keep in mind that I can't offer you legal advice. I don't ever offer any legal services, but I think I offer some pretty good information.